Good morning. Watching top athletes compete in the Winter Olympic Games is breathtaking and awe-striking. And the world has just been given 16 days full of such intense ex experience. How can those athletes ski so nimbly, run so fast, jump so high, turn their body so many times in the air, and dance so graciously on the ice? It is inspiring just to imagine how many practices, sweats, tears, and injuries it takes for a top-notch athlete to be qualified to compete at the Olympic level. And yet there's only one, only one gold medalist in the end. One of the most dramatic events in this Winter Olympic Games in Beijing was the heart-wrenching story of the Russian figure skating phenom, the 15-year-old Kamila Barieva. I'm sure we, even though we're busy, we catch this news, right? She was the first female skater ever to land a quadruple jump in the Olympics and was widely expected to win the individual gold medal. But an anti-doping test found a banned drug, trimtazidine, in her system. As a result, she was banned from the individual competition. Because of her tender age in a protected category, however, the Court of Arbitration for Sport decided to allow her to compete while the official investigation continued. With the whole world watching an enormous stress on her mind, alas, she failed several times in the freestyle program and ended with the fourth place without a medal. Seeing her struggling on the eyes and tears on her face, all the audience and viewers were heartbroken and all sports commentators speechless. What a terrible scene to watch. Marieva is incredibly talented and extremely motivated, and she has a tough coach, relentlessly push her to train, to compete, and to win at all costs. Her whole life has been on the ice, and her single goal is to become the Olympic champion. With the turns and twists of the event, however, this soaring star falls shockingly to the depths of darkness. We all feel very sad and sorry for her, I'm sure. What a tragedy. In fact, all the contestants at the Olympic Games are just as talented, disciplined, tenacious, perseverant, and single-minded in their pursuit of gold. Think Sean White, Michaela Schiffering, and Nathan Chen. They devote their lives to chase that Olympic dream and endure all the pains, loneliness, and anxieties that come with the training and competitions to attend that goal. But even with the best motivation, plans, coaching, 
efforts and experience, only one athlete will win the crown of victory to receive that supreme honor. So many injuries can hurt their bodies and minds, and so many accidents can happen on the slope or in the rink. Thinking about how much those athletes must go through for years before they can even participate in the thrilling competitions of the Olympics, it is hard not to gain a new perspective on human life. We can work so hard all our lives, but there's no guarantee for success in life. The author of the letter of James has seen many people work hard every day to survive and thrive in their lives and to excel and advance in their careers. Most seem to be so determined and driven by their desire to catch the goals that they forget what life is about and where God is. So he shares with his readers a new perspective on life by raising an important question. Do you know what tomorrow will bring? Of course not. So he reminds us that humans are nothing but a mist in the morning that can vanish with a quick blow of wind. If we have no control of tomorrow, and our labor may result in vain, and in fact, our lives can end in a blink of light. It would be wise to remember who holds tomorrow. Not us, but the mighty and merciful God. So he advises us to set up our goals by thinking first, if the Lord wishes. If the Lord wishes. Yes, we should recognize who is the Lord of our life. God willing, we will do that. God willing, we may succeed. It is exactly what Jesus said in his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane before his arrest. If the Lord wishes. Take away my, this cup, but not what I wishes, but what the Lord wishes. This is Jesus' perspective on life and on death. Now, which James, Reformed theologians, would say, let us honor God's sovereignty, even as we make our best efforts to pursue the goal that God has set before us, let us pursue, like the Apostle Paul, not earthly prize, but the heavenly crown that will not wither, and the peace with God that lasts forever. Psalm 49 also espouses a perspective on life that has God at the helm. The psalmist rightly observes that the wicked in the world like to boast of their prowess, and the rich break about their positions. But no human po uh, power can bring a life back when it perishes. And no one can carry wealth to enjoy beyond the grave. 
humans with the most advanced medical accomplishments still cannot make the dead alive again. We'll be wise, therefore, to remember that our life is in God's hand who creates it and blesses it. And we will be foolish to rely on our strength and knowledge as we strive to accomplish what we want to do in the world. Knowing we are frail and limited and so many things are beyond our control is a healthy view and a good idea. In fact, we'll be smart to be humble before God and to honor God in all our endeavors. As we plan and work for any goal in life, therefore, let us begin with God willing. God willing. And at the end of the days, give thanks by saying, it is by God's grace we may succeed in something. God willing does not mean just let everything take its course because we don't care enough to make thoughtful plans. It is not laissez-faire or que sera sera. Rather, it means we seek first God's will and God's righteousness, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. By God's grace does not mean we don't do anything and make any sacrifice to reach the goal. It is not birthright or entitlement. Rather, it means we trust in God's mercy and God's guidance as we journey to a strange place without doubt or fear, like Abraham, who left his hometown war to the promised land because he trusted in the one true and living God who called him. This is a spiritual lesson I'm sure many members of our graduate class are learning right now as they anxiously wait for a call to a right parish, a day to move out of the campus, and a date for their anticipated ordination. God willing and by God's grace, you will be there, sure and soon. There are inspirational speakers or life coaches who urge people to achieve success in life by making meticulous plans and setting up milestones in timeline starting at a young age. If you finish college at 22, earn a business or law degree at 25, buy a house at 30, get married at 32, have two children at 35, and retire by 49, just to beat those who plan to retire at 50. <laughs> you will have accomplished a brilliant life, and that is success. I recently came across an, adv an advertisement by a financial advising firm that says, a 2020 study, show, a study shows that 71% of American adults admit their financial planning needs improvement. But only 29 of Americans work with a financial advisor. Then it claims that working with a financial advisor 
preferably from our firm, will increase your retirement money by 15% more. It is in view of the ideas of success like this, James 4 and Psalm 49 that we read this morning, raise serious challenges against human tendency to self-rely, to overplan, and to take charge by reminding us that we have no control of tomorrow or our own lives. If we earn the whole world but lose our lives, what is the point? No strength and wealth can bring life back. God alone gives life and decides what will happen tomorrow for us, and it is right to be humble and trust in God's grace. Of course, we cannot finish the sermon without reflecting on the gospel reading either. Humility and trust are important lessons for our spiritual lives. But as Jesus' conversation with disciples in Mark 9 indicates, there are also essential virtues for ministry. If we can be humble, we will not complain as the disciples did against those who are doing God's work, casting out demons to set the possessed free simply because they are not one of us. God's ministry is not about us, but about those we minister. Eliticism or exclusion are not compatible to the ministry of the gospel. In addition, if we trust in God's grace that breaks the wall which separates us from God and from each other, we will be able to make the table larger and the church bigger. If we see all who are not with us as opponents, as the disciples did, we make enemies out of the whole world around us. But if we welcome and take in all who are not against us, as Jesus urges us to do, we will have much more friends on our side. Welcome and inclusion are characteristics of Christian fellowship. In our life and work together, both here at the seminary and in any parish that you will soon join, Therefore, let us joyfully embrace each other as brothers and sisters and gladly share the koinonia in ministry and mission for the sake of Jesus so that our loving God may be pleased and glorified. And that will be a true success in heaven. Amen.